Thank you for joining us. For your encouragement, we bring to you this biblical sermon from Dr. Charlie Dates, preached at the Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago. We hope that it leaves you refreshed and inspired. If you're ever in Chicago on a Sunday, we'd love to have you in worship with us. Join now. This message already in progress. Beginning at verse 32, when you got it, say, I got it. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, and yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. I want to take an angle of vision on the story of chocolate people in America this Sunday from the lens of faith. I want to tag this text that I just read to you in our exchange. We've come this far by faith. You may be seated. I want to talk from that thought. We've come this far by faith. Will you all breathe a word of prayer with me, please? Gracious and eternal God, our Father, we do praise and magnify your name. We come humbly this morning asking you for help in our time of need. I'm praying for grace to preach your word, to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Even now, as I stand behind this cruciform pulpit, I pray that you would hide me behind your cross people would fall in love with you, Jesus, that we would hear your story, that we would accept the example laid before us. I pray for supernatural power, the kind of power that makes preaching easy, both to do and to hear, and then to obey. And if I've asked you for too little, I pray that you do something even bigger than what I just asked you for. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Little faith will bring your soul to heaven. Great faith will bring heaven to your soul. That seems to be the tenor, the tone, and the texture even of the book of Hebrews, particularly of Hebrews chapter 11. In spite of the obstacles that people face, there are yet greater achievements to be accomplished and a richer relationship with God to be enjoyed. That's the claim of this text. 
that you too have yet some great and mighty things in front of you in life that can only be achieved by your stubborn belief in God, by your refusal to relinquish your confidence in him, and by your willingness to keep walking with him. But not only accomplishments to be achieved, but also a richer relationship with God to be enjoyed. And I say that assuming that that's what y'all want, that you don't want just to accomplish great things or to drive a nicer car or to build a bigger house, but that in this world, you actually want to know God and to enjoy God through and through. That's the tone, the texture, and the tenor of Hebrews chapter 11 and really of the whole book. But I also think this morning that it is the greatest apologetic for the black church today, that this is the story that I just read to you today that forms and shapes and frames the actual texture of black history in America. I learned it growing up this way. The elders in the church I grew up in used to sing this song, we've come this far by faith, leaning on the Lord, trusting in his holy word. He's never failed us yet. They would go, oh, 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 can't turn around. We've come this far by faith. Th these are songs that I want my kids to learn. These are songs I need your kids to learn. Because we, the chocolate delegation, and these yet-to-be United States of America, have not come this far by money. We have not come this far by our athletic or political prowess. No, friends, we've come this far by faith. In the preceding section that I read to you today, this hall of faith in Hebrews 11 concludes its singular focus on individuals with the story of Moses. How appropriate, right? That we've been in the last two weeks looking at the narrative of Moses. And, and this section says that by faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose, in verse 25, rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater than the riches of the treasures of Egypt. He was looking forward to his reward. It was by faith that when he was born, he was hidden for three months because his parents saw something in him. And by faith, they defied the edict of the king. It's as if Moses' family is already shaping the narrative of his life by faith. So that by the time Moses ascends and becomes the leader, the defender, and the deliverer of Israel, he is aware that his is a story of faith, of oppression, of suffering, and of overcoming by trusting in God. I labor there, and I linger for a moment because as I massage the margins of this text this week, thinking of an angle at which to come at you, something actually grabbed me. As I looked at this by faith, by faith, by faith, the 19 times that phrase shows up 
in Hebrews 11 alone. And as I read the context of Moses' story that I've been preaching to you, what grabbed me was a question I want to ask you. What are we really leaving our children behind? If I were to ask you, what are you passing down to your children? What are you leaving to the generations that succeed you? Uh, so, some of you will say, oh, I want to leave my kids good morals. That's good. Some character. Some noble values by which to live. All of those are good answers, by the way. They're strong, helpful pieces that help young people come of age. Some of you would say, well, then after that, I, I want to leave my kids a good education. That's why we pay money for them to go to these schools. That's why we're saving money for them to go to college. That's why we hire tutors, because we think that education is the gateway, and appropriately so, to building a strong life. Some of us dare even to say, well, I want to leave my kids some money. I'm grateful for the way grandma lived and grandpa lived and the way mom and dad did, but I want to give my kids a better head start. It's okay. It's okay, right? I, I want to help my children. I want to leave behind some investments for them. All of those are good. Money, education, character. But this text says something higher, heavier, and holier to us. It urges upon us a responsibility. That, that we have to leave our children something more than a cushioned wallet, something more than an educated head. But we need to leave our children a consecrated heart. If all we do is leave our children with account numbers and degrees, then we fail to leave them what's really important. We, we fail to leave them the receipts of God's faithfulness in our own journey, in our own families, and in our own lives. That there ought to come a time in your life, this text says, where you sit down with your kids as soon as they can understand and you tell them how God has brought you over and how God has brought your parents over and even your other relatives who did not believe how God extended his great faithfulness to them. Because after all, what does it profit a man or a woman to gain the whole world and turn around lose a soul to, to have it all to have all of the money to have all of that but to have no spiritual heritage and and not just any spiritual heritage not just that we believe in anything but but that the book of Hebrews pushes us to say no we believe in Jesus that, that when you go to some places and they go oh this is an ecumenical meeting and pray to whatever God you believe in we don't do that oh I know what age I'm preaching in God give me a church this morning we don't just stand with everybody of every other faith and go, we all believe in the same God. You ain't got to say amen, but I'm going to educate you today. The father of Jesus is not the God of Muhammad. I, I want to go on record from this pulpit and say, we do not ascribe to what every other would-be religious system is. No, we believe that there's only one way to the Father, and that way is Jesus Christ, God's Son. And we're going to tell our kids, you're going to get out in this world, and there will be a pluralism of ideas, but when you come home, the only argument that stands is that it's got to be Jesus and Jesus alone. Fine, I'll preach if you make me. You try standing before God and try getting in any other way. But the last time I read this text, there's only one way you're going to be able to get in. You ain't going to be able to call your grandmama's name. You ain't going to be able to call your granddaddy's name. You ain't even 
ain't going to be able to tell us what school you went to. Nobody cares about none of that. The only name that's going to count when you get there is the one that heaven sent to die on a cross for your sins. You better know that name. Jesus. That's the spiritual heritage that we leave to our children. And I wonder, can we do this like Moses' parents did for him? Can we birth and raise a generation of young believers who put their faith in Christ? That doesn't mean that they ain't going to do wrong. I mean, look at you. Doesn't mean they ain't going to wild out from time to time. But it does mean that there will be an anchor that holds their soul. That's why, that's why I'm so driven to develop and to build the most creative and significant children's and teens ministry in Chicago. That's why, since my coming to you, Progressive, I have been intentional about investing in what we do for our kids. If you never have a comfortable seat, seat to sit in, they should have everything that they need. And it is because this spiritual heritage I am convinced is the only thing that's going to help black people in America. I remember, actually, I remember being introduced to Hebrews 11 when I was a boy. I don't know if my older brother Lindsay is here right now, but I learned it from him. He learned it in school, and he used to walk around, like Claire quotes Psalm 77 all the time. He used to walk around quoting Hebrews 11 from the King James Version, because that's the only version we had that they believe was authorized back in the day. So it's King James Version. He was saying, now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders attained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made by things which do appear. And we went on by faith and by faith and by faith. And I would ask my mama from time to time, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What does that mean? And she would give me, as an educator, all of these wonderful responses. And I borrowed this. This is true. But I borrowed this angle of vision from Dr. Steve Blaine. This is true. She, she would say, and I guess black mamas had this in common. She, she would say, oh, you, you got to believe before you see it. She, she said, seeing is not believing. It's believing that enables you to see. She was not a, a formal theologian, but she would, in a theological way, say that the reward of faith, is one day seeing what you are believing God for. So, so I'd say, all right, you know, cool. But she had this illustration that she liked to use with us. We used to bake cakes. This is before you went to Portillo's and just bought the chocolate cake. We used to actually, like, bake cake, mix all of the flour, eggs. What else do people put in cakes? Vanilla. You know what I'm saying? Do all of that. She had this hand mixer, okay? So she would, actually, she would let me do it. And, man, that thing would be going all over the place, shooting stuff everywhere. And then I'd be like, is it good? She'd be like, yeah. And then I'd go back, I couldn't wait for that cake to finish baking. I just, I wanted it right there. But she knew I could not eat an unbaked cake. So what she would do is she would remove the little spenders from the hand mixer. Your mama did this too? And, and she, would, she would give it to us, and my little tongue would get stuck. I'd be trying to get every bit of that batter out of there. She'd say, faith is the substance of things hoped for. You ain't ready. The evidence of things not seen. The cake ain't ready, but you just tasted the substance of something you're hoping for. This is the evidence 
of things not seen. Faith is being able to taste it as if it's already ready, believing that God is going to bring it to you. Now, faith, church, is the substance of things hoped for. If you got it already, you don't need to believe God for it. It ain't here yet, but you believe by faith. It's coming. By faith, by faith, by faith. Shows up again and again, more than 19 times. This is what scholars call a dative of means. It is to say that, that faith is not merely the agency through which God gets things done in the world. But faith is the course and the process by which God gets you ready to experience his power in the earth and in the world. And I thought it'd be helpful, this is really why I came today, to worship the Lord and to give you this. I, I thought it'd be helpful this third Sunday in Black History Month of this year. We pause to examine the story of African-American Christian people, really African-American people down through the years. Because I'm concerned about a new generation that ain't coming to church no more. Or that comes once a month and thinks that that's enough. And you know I'm coming for you. You already know it. So just buckle up. It's okay. Somebody told me last night, brunch with your besties. Y'all know how it is. And season's coming. Brunch season's coming. You're going to be tempted. And you're so glad now that the service is at 930. You can actually make brunch uh, when, when it's over. But for everybody putting the black church on the side, and, and for everybody uh, who feels like the church is irrelevant and, and that the black church is a thing, a relic of the past. And, and then for some people who go, you know, I don't need the black church no more because I don't like all that hooping and hollering. I, I, I don't want a preacher that's going to get up and that's going to sweat. And you know all the caricatures. The sermon got to last for three hours and, and people got to shout and run. And I know some of y'all like this, you too dignified and refined for church like that. So you go, I, I don't want that. I, I don't want to go to a church where the preacher's always dressed up in a suit. You like my get up today, by the way? Preacher's, preacher's always dressed up in a suit and, and this, that, and the other. And, and, and so you like, you know, you give up on it. Or people who go, I don't like black churches no more. I'm about to get in trouble. Y'all need to pray for me. But when I go to some of these white churches and preach and there's more young black people there than it is non-black people there and they looking at me when I finish preaching like where you come from and I go where you been. <laughs> I, I, I want to talk to y'all for a minute. This here chocolate church is the only institution that has safely seen us through the abolition of slavery, reconstruction, the civil rights movement, Jim Crow, and now the new Jim Crow. And all of a sudden, now that you can live where you want to live, you can make the money you want to make, now you're going to turn your back on the very God and the institution he made to get us through? Shame on your chocolate behind. Now, I got receipts today. I'm trying not to pull them all, but I came today to tell you that everything we got from the right to vote, which is under attack, to the right to housing, to education, 
to all of what we have. God has used people of faith, black people of faith, to stand up and do this. And by the way, join whatever vanilla church you want to join. I'm not mad at them, but when Mike Brown get murdered and Laquan McDonald gets murdered and somebody put their knee on somebody else's neck and the white preacher don't get up and say nothing about all the injustice that there is, then you want to come back here and start asking questions. Maybe they ain't got nothing to say because they don't know what you've been through. And they my friends, and I love y'all, but I'll, before I take it back, I'll add more to it. The, the white church, God bless them, they have never fully funded or moved with us in anything that we've been trying to do. So timid, so scared, but we've had to stand up with our own catfish dinners, selling our own biscuits, moving our own carpool so that our kids would have a right. You ain't got that excuse at Progressive. You ain't got that excuse at a number of black churches in Chicago. Because guess what we do here? We believe that Jesus is the only way to the Father. We believe that Jesus has rescued us from the slavery of sin. But we also believe that every kid ought to have a chance at a decent education, regardless of where they're born. We also believe that, a, that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We also believe that people like Clayton should be elected to office. And we should not just give over the potential prosecution of our kids to people who don't know our story and don't know our song. We also believe that God has not just delivered us from the sin, from the slavery of sin, but from the slavery to sin and the sin of slavery. That God will liberate you, not only from what oppresses you spiritually, but he's able to deliver you from what oppresses you physically too. <laughs> listen, listen, this is where I'm going. Everything we got from Shirley Chisholm's election to, you know Hiram Rebels, y'all know these names, right? Hiram Rebels is the first black U.S. senator <clears throat> in American history. He was an AME preacher. The first black U.S. senator in American history was a black church preacher. What, what, what do you think then of Mary McCloy Bethune? What do you think of Sojourner Truth? What, what do you think, time does not permit me to call the role, really. What do you think that Frederick Douglass was motivated by? And for crying out loud, Although we call his name all the time, what do you think the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King and Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth and Reverend Ralph Abernathy, what do you think they were devoted to? They were not simply devoted to an idea of equal rights. They were devoted to the God who said that he made all of us in his image and in his likeness. Then where did black people go? when it came time to mobilize or organize our movements. When in December of 1955, Rosa Parks said she wasn't gonna give up her seat and they needed to organize to figure out how this bus boycott was gonna go. You know where Joanne Robinson said? She, she said, we, we need to go call my preacher. 
he knew, but he can talk and he can inspire people. And a 26-year-old Martin Luther King Jr. opened up the church's basement for an organizing meeting. This institution is all we had, y'all. It's, it's what we own when we could go nowhere else. This was it. And then the black church is the only organization that sees this many black people on the weekend at any given time. That they came into an institution we own, and then once the boycott started, you know where they held their mass meetings? They didn't hold it, God bless them, at the Alpha House or, or at the Q's House. They, they didn't hold it at the Lodge. They, they didn't hold it at the club. When it came time to be inspired for the work that they were doing, at night, they went to church. And when they got to church and they had to pay for the carpools down in Montgomery, Alabama, guess who collected the offering? The ushers. Because the church had a system for already mobilizing and moving things down the path. And then when they got delivered, when in fact the edict came down from the U.S. Supreme Court, guess where they went? To church. And to lift their voices and to praise God. Friend, time will not permit me to talk even about Bishop Arthur Embrasure, who challenged Richard J. Daly by shutting down schools in Woodlawn and telling him he could not house kids in trailers. T time will not permit me to talk about L.K. Williams, who pastored uh, Olivet Baptist Church in, in its heyday, literally, and, and he wrote an article, an editorial for the Tribune called Passionately Human, No Less Divine. That, that our ministry has to be passionately human. It has to care about the anthropological. It has to give a doggone about the conditions within which mankind finds themselves. But it is no less godly. It is no less divine. They hired two full-time social workers to meet migrants who were coming off of the trains from the south to help them find a place to live and where to go and a place to worship God. Time does not permit me to call even Harold Washington's name, who rose up to become the first black mayor of a major city in America. And he came, as it were, through the power of the church. Or, or even Barack Obama, who didn't have nobody to march with him, by the way, in the Bud Billiken Day Parade. He used Salem's drill team, young people, to march with him. Who, when you look at the pictures of the night that he won, his U.S. Senate campaign, the security around him are all Salem security because he didn't have them. And then the next night, the Wednesday after he ran, do you know the first place he went to? He went back to Salem to say thank you to the people. Now, we ain't even got to call the names, but we could call all the other names of the churches that strengthened and that helped him. But our first black president got lifted by the black church. And if God has done all of that through the black church, what makes you think now that God's going to come at us another way? This is the birth canal of greatness for black people in the world. I got to go. Y'all have been real kind, even though you've been a little mean to me today. But I want to say it's been our faith. It's been by faith. It's been by faith that our institutions have been built. By faith, we've turned legislation around. By faith, we've mobilized people to march. By faith, we have funded universities. By faith, we have provided scholarships. 
By faith, our disobedience has been challenged. By faith, our rebellion has been corrected. And by faith, we have resisted inaccurate theological dogma. And here it is, we got more giants to slay. We got more walls to build. We have new, more families to give birth to. And we have more reform to take over. But the only way it's going to happen is by faith. And that's what I want to say to you as I finish now my reading of this text. This text, of all of the by faiths, and what more shall I say then? It's tailored to teach you and I that God has made all things depend on faith. And whoever has faith will have everything. But whoever does not have faith will have nothing. I came today to say to somebody, you need faith. You need faith because faith still is the substance of things hopeful. You, you need faith because God will not accomplish things in the world apart from faith. You need faith because the scripture says, if it's not a faith, it's sin. So why now? Why should you and I come to this Sunday and make a renewed commitment to follow God by faith? Well, I want to tell you that that's really the anchoring message of this book. Of the 21 New Testament epistles, there are about five of them that are written specifically to and about Jewish Christians, Messianic Jews. They have some things that are striking. They are persecuted within the land of Israel, and they are troubled outside of the land of Israel. These are a second generation of believers, meaning that they were not eyewitnesses to the ministry of Jesus Christ. They, you can tell from reading Hebrews that they had a very, what we call, high view of Scripture. Because whenever the writer of Hebrews quotes the Old Testament, which he does a lot, it settles the argument. When they read the Old Testament, they go, uh, I got it. These people were at risk of going back. These are what scholars call Messianic Jews. They were tempted to go back to Judaism. And so in this moment, the writer of Hebrews is warning them about why they should not go back. These also are a people who have been believers for a long time. When you read chapter 5, they should be teachers by now. They've been believing for so long. But then now we see that they are people who have wavering faith. I ran all of that list to say to you and me, sound a lot like black people in America today. We are people who are not the first generation to be believers. We are people now, strangely enough, who are suffering persecution for what we believe. We are people who come from a folk who had a high view of scripture. But we also are people who are at risk of going into some strange systems of belief. I mean, some of the stuff that people are getting into today, I ain't never heard. It, it's really weird. And then we are people who sometimes have a wavering faith. So what now do we do? Well, this text says that we ought to anchor our faith in God because of what God has done and because of what God is yet going to do. Let me argue my text, and I'm in my, I'm in my seat. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. What more shall I say? That's a common literary device or, or in preacher language. It's a homiletical technique to say, 
I wish I had more time. Y'all ever heard the preacher say that in church? I wish I had more time. And then somebody yelled back, take your time, Reverend. And then the other people around them, the person who said, take your time, they started looking at the person. If you don't be quiet, let him finish his sermon. Because don't nobody really want the preacher to take their time. But, but this is what the writer is saying. He's saying, I literally don't have enough time to run the list of all of the great work that God has done. Help me, Holy Ghost. He's saying, there is not enough ink or enough parchment to contain all the pages of all the books and all of the libraries that would be recorded if we sat down to actually think about all that God has done in time past. I know that he's telling the truth because if right now, there's probably 800 people in here, if right now we all decided that we would take the rest of the afternoon and just write from memory what we could recall, the, the doors that God has opened, the traitors that God has shut down, the bridges that God has seen us through, the health scares that God has raised us above, the grief from having lost a loved one, the depression from the divorce that he brought us through, the lonely nights, the miserable days, the being looked over at work, somebody else getting the promotion, not being able to pay my bills, but through it all, I said through it all, somebody could say, I learned to trust. I've learned to trust in God. It would fill all the libraries in Chicago. So some of us ought to be able to say, down through the year, God's been good to me. We ain't got time. And some of y'all need a I ain't got time kind of shout. In other words, you don't need me to preach a whole sermon before you learn to stand up and to raise your hands. You got your own story with God. That the moment I mention how good he is, you ought to just... Y'all don't know what that is. That's called a huckabuck. You ought to automatically get her up. That's why they used to say, when I think. Forgive me, y'all. I'm preaching to myself now. When I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, he should have gave up on me. He should have put me out. But instead, he's blessed me and kept me. Can I tell y'all something? Some Sundays I don't care if you don't say nothing. Because I know God been better to you than for you to be sitting in that seat looking at me like I'm from a different planet. This ain't about me, but you got your own story about how God has brought you over and delivered you. And you got to have, if I had the time, I'd tear this church up. I, I'd run all the way around it. I, I would lift my voice and sing his praise because he's been that kind of good to me. Listen, let me finish. Let me finish my treatment on this text. Let me tell you now, I want you to look now at how the author moves from these individuals, Sam. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Noah. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Moses. All of these people to now just saying, 
I got to have some summary statements. It's, it's so much to tell, y'all can't even handle it all. He said, these are people like Jephthah and Barak and Samson and Gideon and David and all the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions. God, give me a church. Y'all ain't in here listening to me. Have you ever seen a lion? No, I mean, really, have you ever? We've just been up close on a lions don't close their mouths. But by faith, they shut the mouths of lions. They quench the power of fire. Come here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They escaped the edge of the sword. From weakness by faith, they became strong. They grew mighty in war when they were outnumbered. They put foreign armies to fight because it doesn't matter how many people are against you. God plus you. I wish I could do it. I, I wish you would mess with me. You don't see the big God that's behind me. I will win because all I do is. Listen to me, y'all. It's by faith. And what you going to do without faith? You don't need faith to take a vacation in the Bahamas. You don't need faith to go to the Gucci store. You only need faith to do stuff that's impossible to get done. Can I tell y'all from the bottom of my heart, I want to see God do some impossible things in this ministry and through my life and in yours. I know that the odds may be against us. I know that the country is turning darker, but might I suggest to you that the light is going to shine brighter the darker this thing gets and God can do the impossible with us. success stories and I've called a bunch of names and I'm done calling names now because I want to transition to help put some meat on your bones for you people who don't know the other side of the coin of faith I just read to you the success stories but I take my seat on a more somber note there are suffering stories while we celebrate the people who won the battles, how about the people who believed and they died believing? My heart is breaking because I know what it's like to pray for people that God would bring them through and they believe that God would bring them through, but for whatever reason, God decides not to do what we're asking for. See, a lot of us got faith for what we want. But we do not have enough faith for what we get. What about when God doesn't do the thing you've asked him to do? These, these are people, others experienced mockings and scourgings and chains. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death. They went about in sheepskins, being destitute and ill-treated. They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves. They never got delivered. See, faith is not real if God is just your cosmic genie. 
where you get to rub him and get whatever you want. But faith is real. When the diagnosis is real. When the pain hurts. When the death blow comes. The question is, can you, like Denise Mitchell and others, when you've gone to the bottom, walk back in here on Sunday morning? And raise your hands and say, in spite of my loss, he's still good. In spite of my difficulty and my trouble, he, if it never works out, he's done more than enough for me. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why they did it. This is why they refused to be delivered. Because they believed that God had a better resurrection. Y'all have been good to me now. Thank you. But you, you missed my clothes. I'm just going to circle around the block one more time. I said they believe that even if they died in this situation, that there was a better resurrection. You see, they had seen resurrection in Elijah's ministry. They saw, they heard of resurrection in Jesus' ministry, raising Lazarus from the dead. But that was more of a resurrection back to this life. And I've been trying to tell y'all, this life ain't all that there is to life. Down here is the land of some more. Say it with me, some more. Some more Karens who call the police on you for watching birds. Some more injustice. Some more carjackings. Some more lonely nights. Some more difficult days. Some more, some more, some more. And God raised those people back to this land of some more. And that's all all of us really want is just some more. Give me some more, God. Give me some more. But what if, what if there's something better than this down here? And those people saw the goodness of God and they said, we would rather be with you, God, than to be down here in the land of some more. Take us to the land of no more. No more heartaches up there. No more doctor's visits up there. No more misunderstandings up there. No more divorce up there. No more pain and suffering up there. We on our way somewhere, church. I said, we on our way somewhere. And I pray God gives me a long life with you. But if he doesn't, I want y'all to know today that I am somewhere where the wicked have ceased from troubling and the weary are at rest. And all of the saints of the ages are standing at his feet, happy and blessed. And if Jesus was raised from the dead, those who place their faith in him will be raised to glory. Hallelujah. Glory. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week for another uplifting and inspiring message by Dr. Charlie Dates, Senior Pastor of the Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago. For more information about our church, visit ProgressiveChicago.org. Progress is yours through the gospel of Jesus Christ.